Hello, my name is Charles Wright, and welcome to the Complete in Christ podcast, where we endeavor to fit the pieces of our lives together according to the Word of God. In this new series called Get Right Church and Let's Go Home, we're exploring the phenomenon where believers and non-believers have become disillusioned with the church because of their inability to reconcile their notion of what the church is and should be about with their observation of and experience within a local church body. Last episode, we talked about how a true local church is defined by its view and practice of baptism and communion. In this episode, we're going to discuss how baptism and communion shape a church's communal life. So let's get to it. Now, one thing that I've been stressing throughout this series is that a true local church is rooted in right teaching and right preaching of God's word. And we don't see that anywhere more plainly and clearly than um, what Luke records in the second chapter of Acts. And we explored this where he indicates that those in the early church were devoting themselves to the apostles teaching. Now, this devotion to the apostles teaching, it wasn't just about them knowing the stories about Jesus or knowing the kind of the TikTok facts and data points of his historical life across a timeline. Instead, what they were devoting themselves to is the truth about who Jesus is, the truth about what he came to do, and also the truth of what he accomplished on the cross. And then the implications all of those things have on believers, both individually and in the community of believers, right? Those things aren't just disparate facts that kind of exist in a silo, but those things have real world impact because of who Jesus is, because of what he came to do and because of what he accomplished on the cross. There now is, as as we would see in Paul's writing, because of these indicatives, there is now an imperative. There is now a command. There is now an expectation for those who have placed their faith in Christ. And again, there is an individual component of that, but then there is also a communal component of that, not just how we kind of walk in our own individual lives, but also how we do life with others, specifically those within the community of believers. See, it really is, right, the the born again, the regenerative and the new creation effect that Christ brings about that really is so important. It's more than just a mental ascent towards some information and some facts, but it is about this life change, this impact that happens on the inside as a result of of repentance and and the forgiveness that we receive from Christ and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit on the inside and this new life that begins. Jesus himself, if you remember, if we recall in his discussion with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, stresses That unless a person is born again, unless a person is changed from within on the inside, not by effort, not by wanting to do better, not by their sheer willpower, but by the Holy Spirit, that unless a person is changed from within by the Holy Spirit, that person cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. This change, this regeneration is only achieved in and with and through Christ. This is why baptism and communion are not only primary, 
but they are critical ordinances of a true local church. As baptism is the outward, right? It is the outward physical representation of what has happened inward spiritually. It is the the, the second birth of of being born again, as described to Jesus, uh, as as Jesus describes to to Nicodemus, and it represents that this second birth has actually taken place on the inside of us. That there has been a change. There's been a change of our hearts. There's been the birth of a new nature, and the baptism. It does not create that change. The baptism does not spark that change. But the baptism is an indication. It is a physical representation of what has happened in the spiritual. And then on the other hand, communion is the celebratory reminiscing of the means by which believers are even able to experience that new birth. And so baptism and communion go hand in hand. The baptism represents what happened inside of believers the moment the Holy Spirit brings them to life and they come into a relationship with Christ. But the only reason that they can do that is because Christ died on the cross. And so the communion is the practice and the symbolic representation of the act that Christ went through that facilitates what baptism signifies, if that makes sense, right? And look, if you if you're just kind of jumping into the series in this episode, if you go back to the previous episode, we kind of do a deeper dive into baptism and into communion. But really, because of what they signify, what baptism signifies and what communion signifies, neither of them really should be taken for granted and they shouldn't be administered lightly. Baptism and communion aren't practices that should be used to signify anything other than an individual's conscious and intentional and genuine acknowledgement of Christ as their Lord and their Savior and his sacrifice that facilitated that salvation. In other words, to be baptized and to take of communion is simply to imply that one has the Holy Spirit at work within them. It isn't meant for any other purpose. And if baptism and communion are being used for any other purpose, for instance, as a, as a mere sign of just membership in the local body, or even in the case of like an infant baptism, where there's no actual profession of faith or repentance of sin has actually occurred, or even used as, an, as a practice of absolving sin, right? Going through the washing of the baptism to absolve sin, or even taking communion to absolve sin. It, it actually clouds the truth. If, if, if baptism and communion are being used in those kinds of of ways, right? In any other way other than implying that one has the Holy Spirit at work within them and that they've been regenerated and they've experienced the new birth, that second birth that Jesus talks to Nicodemus about. If baptism and communion are being used in any other way than those, it clouds the true and the the biblical meaning in relation to Christ of what baptism and communion are all about. And it can cause confusion among those who have participated in those ordinances, right? So if I'm someone who was baptized as a child, just because that was the practice of the church, absent of an actual profession of faith in Christ, absent of the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in my life, well, now I may have a, a false sense of, of my security, my salvation, because, hey, I was baptized. And 
oh, guess what? When you're baptized, you get to participate in communion. And so, uh, you know, I've been dipped in some water. I'm eating crackers and juice, but it's detached from what those true biblical meanings are and the significance of, of those things are, specifically what is supposed to have happened in the spiritual, within my spirit, within my soul. It also can create confusion for those who may interact with ones who have gone through that process, right? Because now they are under the impression that they are true representatives of the church. They are true believers. Hey, they've been baptized. They're taking communion. And so they must be Christians because the the true church, right, is made up of people who, who have the Holy Spirit at work in them, but and also people who don't have the Holy Spirit at work in them. We, we really have to look at the core group, those that are saved, to really then kind of springboard from that into what the communal life of the church should be. It's inaccurate, but it's also unfair, and hear me out, to uh, expect those who don't have the Holy Spirit at work in them to be able to uphold the communal life of the church as described by Scripture. Well, why do we say that? Well, it's because the communal life of the true church is actually marked by the characteristics that the Holy Spirit is working to bring about in the lives of believers. It is because that communal life within the church is a reflection of this new creation that all those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ have now been turned into per scripture, right? This second birth, this having been born again, this spark of this new nature inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And then the communal life then is an outflow of that work of the Holy Spirit within a believer. So it becomes unfair to then expect those who do not have the Holy Spirit at work in them to still be able to manifest the communal life as described by scripture. And I'm making a distinction there because there is what I might consider a pop culture communal life of what we think church should be about and what uh, the church should be doing and shouldn't be doing and, and what the church should say and what they shouldn't say. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about kind of a generic general morality, generic general goodness or generic general right behavior. I'm talking about scripturally speaking, what God's word tells us the communal life of the body of believers should be about. And if we initially say, right, that that communal life is an outflow of the, the characteristics that the Holy Spirit is working to kind of bring about in, within the lives of believers, then again, we look to Scripture, specifically Galatians 5 and 22 and 23. And we've been hitting and touching on this all through this series, but it's such a, a, a critical part because Here's where Paul lays out the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what is the, the result of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the, in the heart and in the lives of believers? What is the, you could say, the evidence? What is the proof that the Holy Spirit is at work in someone's life? Well, it is that that individual would begin to uh, demonstrate and display these that we call the fruit of the Spirit, Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says against such things, there is no law. These things should be abounding and, and working and moving forward without any restriction. 
There is no law against behaving in these ways as contrasted to the fruit of the flesh, which we have God's commandments and, and laws against the exercise of, of the, uh, the fruit of our flesh, right, and our sinful desires. But these things, again, love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. If you just think about that list, and then you think about, uh, and, I'm, and I am going to make a, a generalization here, so I'm, I don't mean to minimize anybody's uh, experience in church that may be much more significant and much more impactful and much more traumatic. So hear me out when I say this. But I think if we were fair, right, and, and kind of balanced and looking at this list that Paul lays out as being the fruit of the Spirit and think about the majority of things we hear about related to or the kinds of things we hear about when people say they've experienced some hurt in the church, usually one of these things is missing in those situations, right? There, there's, there's, there's not a, an extension or an expression of love. There's, there's not a striving after for peace. There's not a display and exercise of patience. There, there's a lack of kindness. There's a lack of maybe faithfulness or, or even more importantly, a lack of gentleness. And then, of course, a lack of self-control. But as we mentioned kind of earlier in the series, right, while uh, the believers are the only group within the local church that has the Holy Spirit working within them, that process of sanctification is not instantaneous. It is a gradual, iterative process that ebbs and flows. Unfortunately, it isn't overnight, right? I, I think a lot of us would agree. We wish that uh, the sanctification of the Holy Spirit was instantaneous, that it happened right away. And sometimes, right, believers operate according to their new nature that is born in Christ and other times, as believers, we operate according to our old nature that's born out of our flesh. Because as one is being built up in the Holy Spirit, the other is being torn down, right, through that sanctification process. But it still remains. There are still traces of those sinful desires, still traces of those bad habits, still traces of those old patterns of how we handled interpersonal relationships or how we handle stress or how we handle you name it, right? And all of that to say that people might be taken advantage of. People might get disrespected. People may be poorly treated. People may even be hurt within a true church. Even where there are people who have been regenerated and born again by the Holy Spirit because of this process of sanctification. And I think this is actually, you know, made evident. I don't, this isn't some you know, whiz-bang kind of notion that, oh, man, the church is failing in some kind of way. But I think if you even look at Scripture, Paul makes this evident in his admonition to the church in Corinth when he writes in 2 Corinthians 13 and 11 that they should aim for restoration, that they should comfort one another, that they should agree with one another, and that they should live in peace. And I think this is so interesting here because Paul's words really seem to indicate that despite best intentions, even within the fellowship of believers, there will be times when the communal life of a local church, in, in the communal life of a local church, rather, when the people will experience hurt, when, when there will be disagreements, when there will be conflicts, when there will be issues and there will be strife and there will be stress. And, and, and I think this is clear from his writing because his focus here is not towards 
the prevention of those things. And, and I'm not saying that he says, oh, it just, you know, don't even worry about it. Just just work through it. But I think in in one vein, he says, hey, here's how we should be. Right. Love, joy, peace, self control, goodness, faithfulness, all of these things, gentleness. But he also knows that that we are that we have a, a, a treasure that's in this earthen vessel that is still being worked out, that our salvation is still being worked out, that that sanctification is still being worked out by the Holy Spirit. And so here, his, his admonition to the Corinthians is, is not towards prevention, but it's towards reconciliation. And I like that. I like that because I, I, I also think, right, when you think about a lot of the situations that people experience in church when they're talking about church hurt, and even if you've experienced church hurt, Think about how much different that experience would have been if after you had the impactful moment, whoever perpetrated that against you or was involved in that situation with you actually then came back around and said, you know what, I've just been reflecting on that interaction we just had or I just reflected on what I said or how I said it. And I I really just want to ask for your forgiveness. I, I, I wasn't you know, displaying gentleness or I wasn't displaying kind of patience with you or or being, you know, loving, all these kinds of things. And just thinking about how much different that would make that situation. And, And truth be told, right, that is that's really the communal life of a church that the communal life of a church exhibits all those things that the fruit of the spirit is is generating within the life of a believer. But above all, what what the communal life of the church really it should be reflecting is the love that we've received from God through his son, Jesus Christ. And and so when we think about this communal life and we think about Paul's admonition for reconciliation with the assumption that, hey, look, there's going to be bumps along the way. There's going to be failures along the way. There's going to be stumbles along the way. Both baptism and communion then really should be factors that motivate believers to do, as he says, Paul says, to restore, to comfort, to to live in peace. And here's why, right? Because baptism stands as a reminder that while we were once slaves to sin, that part now has died and, and we now have new lives that are committed to God's righteousness. We recognize that because God has forgiven us, that we should then seek to forgive and to reconcile with others. Ephesians 4 and 32 as a reference. And that is so big, right? It's not just, it's not about being perfect. It's not about never offending. It's not about never doing something that puts someone in an uncomfortable situation or, or maybe hurts their feelings or, or getting into interpersonal uh, stressors and tension. As much as it is, man, when we find ourselves there, because those are going to be inevitable, despite your best efforts, because we are humans, because we are still saved by grace, not because of our works, but we're saved by God's grace. And we still have the 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 ability right to to give in to our sinful natures. We're not controlled by our sinful natures, but we still have the ability to, to make the wrong choice, to choose to go with our old natures instead of our new nature then we know, right, that there's going to be times when interactions are going to occur that are anything but Christ-like. But in those moments is when we actually can be most Christ-like, where we are extending 
grace and we're extending forgiveness. When we, when we come together for communion, it is, it is a, a regular reminder, or at least it should be, a regular reminder that we have been united with Christ and united with brothers and sisters who too are in Christ. And so communion then reminds us that while Christ's physical body was broken, he is actually building up a spiritual body that's being united by his spirit. And so when I'm looking across the congregation and I'm looking in other pews and I'm looking from the pulpit all the way to the back door, I, I shouldn't be just looking and thinking that these are just some people or just some folks. But, but for those that are, again, that, that have the, the Holy Spirit at work in their hearts, then, then these folks are a part of me. And I am a part of them because we are united by the Spirit of Christ in being built into this spiritual body. We are connected. I'm not saying that we're uh, some type of uh, homogeneous blob where you don't have any individuality. That's not what I'm saying. But we are we are connected, just like a family is connected, right? It this isn't a hard concept to wrap our minds around within the nuclear family of a of a father and a mother and children, brothers and sisters and siblings. In that situation, everybody is an individual, but they are still a family. They're still connected. They're individuals, but they also find worth and value in in their connection to the other people in that family union. I believe the same thing should be there within the communal life of a true local church. And, and it's, it's on display as at least as a reminder when we come together for the communion. I think this is just another reason, and we talked about this too early in the series, why Paul speaks so strongly against the Corinthians about how they are participating in communion, about how they're losing sight of what it is that Christ did on the cross. And then it's causing them to then lose sight of their brothers and sisters that are there gathering in the moment. And the moment we do that, right? The moment we are able to disconnect the baptism and the communion from Christ, then it becomes very easy to mistreat others. See, grace and patience really should mark a believer's interaction with those inside and outside of the church. And it's because of the grace and the patience that God has extended towards us. And more specifically, for those that are outside of his body, those who don't know him, we should extend grace and patience because, as Paul says, we were once like them. We were dead in our sins, unable to respond to the urging of the Holy Spirit, unable to respond to God's word, and as such, producing nothing but the fruits of the flesh. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Complete in Christ podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode or series, you can send them to questions at completeinchristpodcast.org. Please include your name, where you're from, and the specific episode you're referencing. Also, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It gives us feedback that helps us to keep improving and provide some insight for those who may be listening for the very first time. Again, my name is Charles Wright, and until next time, be blessed.